0: Hello and welcome to Bee school Radio Part 2. This is Lee. This is also Episode 51 of the Beekeeping at Five Apple Farm podcast. This is a series that I hope will supplement your in-person bee school I'm starting to see advertisements for bee schools on Facebook and I have that vicarious thrill of thinking back to my 1st bee B-School. <laughs> I have to tell you that I took it in the Ozarks and That year, they had such a turnout that the room they had rented would not contain all the students. And so they moved us to the livestock arena. <laughs> this was at a big uh, extension service, and so it was freezing. You know, it was January in the Ozarks, and I just remember sitting in the, on those metal benches in a livestock arena with my gloves on, right, taking notes. Luckily, the next class, they did find us a room big enough, and we were back in the heat, which made it a little easier, but you know, in hindsight, they were probably just seeing if you were tough enough to sit there in a freezing livestock arena, and if so, then you probably have what it takes to be a long-term beekeeper. I got some feedback on the first episode of Bee school that maybe I was a little bit too tough about talking about how challenging beekeeping is, and I don't mean to discourage anybody Instead, I want you to be mentally prepared so that when you go in, you won't get discouraged. So that before you even go to bee school, you know you're going to be overwhelmed. And before you even have bees, you know that there's the potential to be really bummed and to be disappointed and to be upset and worried about your bees. That is just how this thing works. I was trying to think of ways to explain what B school feels like to non-B people who haven't um, been through it. And I I thought, it's like if someone, if, if driving school, for driving a car, instead of just, you know, saying, okay, let's learn to drive a car, they put you in a building and they said, okay, there's this car. This is a spark plug. This is how you change a spark plug. This is how you rebuild an engine. These are all the parts of the car. And you did all that before you ever got to learn to drive. That would be kind of what you're about to face in B-School if you haven't been already. And just like that freezing arena in my B-School, you may look around and go, yeah, you know, I paid 50, 80, 100 bucks to be here and they've messed up on this and they've messed up on that and they're not taking care of me in this way. Well, please remember, despite that high rate of pay that all those teachers are getting, that's a joke if it's a if it's a bee school put on by a bee club or an extension service then a lot of the teachers are probably not getting paid at all in fact if it's a bee school usually bee school payments are used to besides covering the materials to raise money for their programs like getting hives for young people or getting hives for a club apiary or giving speakers little Little tiny amounts of money <laughs> to come and speak to your club. So please be easy on the people doing your bee school. They are doing it from love and from a desire to have more beekeepers and for beekeepers to have the basics that they need to do it well. So the topics that I would like to talk to you today uh, would come under the subject I think of bee biology, and but in with bee biology, there's this other overlay of seasonality or life cycle of the colony the first thing about bee biology that i think everyone should always keep in their mind is in reality there is no such thing as an individual bee i mean yes individual bees exist but in terms of function the colony is the being it is the the animal if you will the whole colony and all of those bees the different bees the queen the workers the drones they serve their roles in the car co- much like the organs in our body you know they're if you can't just put your liver on a table and say good luck to you hope it goes well that it's just not how the human body works and similarly the the bees they are all about the whole they are all about that uh, superorganism, as it's called, of a colony of bees. They instinctively know what their role is. Those roles change over time, as you'll learn from the time they emerge from their cells to the time they go out to foragers. Worker bees go through all these stages of jobs. And so that thought that the animal is not that individual sweet little bee that lands on your hand and you look at and adore, even though I do that, especially the little fuzzy ones that I love so much. It is the colony that is the animal. So, when you're looking at the health of your hive, you have to look at the whole colony. You have to take in the picture of how the whole animal looks. And that includes this animal's house, if you will, how much honey do they have how much fresh nectar do they have how much pollen do they have how much brood how many baby bees do they have Uh, is the brood in all different stages of brood from the open tiny eggs that you can barely see and actually you probably can't see unless you happen to have black foundation from to the open larvae that look like little tiny white worms and in fact in some old beekeeping literature they I mean, like really old, like from the 1700s, they talk about the worms, <laughs> which is funny, the larva, and and sealed brood, capped brood. I'm going to pause here for a tip. One of the things when you're out with your hive and you're identifying things, the capped brood, the, the cappings look like suede, whereas capped honey, the cappings will look kind of wet or at least slick. But if it's capped brood, it's a little bit domed and it looks like suede leather. So that was your tip. (laughs) Okay, so, but it is in this super organism, you are looking at the health of the whole and you're looking to see if all the parts look good. It's like when you go in for a physical to your doctor, you know, they're not just looking at your eyeballs they are looking at your blood work they're listening to your heart they're listening to your lungs they're putting it all together you know is your does your skin look okay you know that is the assessment of your health and similarly when you are interacting with your hive keep in mind try to try to go back in your mind and remember that this is this thing is a whole and you're looking at all the pieces and parts to come up with a judgment that you know, will come over time of how the health of that colony is doing, and also what they're going to need. Because to me, this is an one of the critical skills that unfortunately, you can only get through doing beekeeping over time. Um, so at the beginning, you're just going to have to wing it. But I find it helpful to know that this is something you're aiming at, is when you look at that hole. If you could just see me right now, I'm just waving my arms all around. <laughs> when I teach in person, my arms are just going all around. And so, um, anyway, that was just funny to me. Okay. When you're looking at that hole, when you're a new beekeeper, we tend to zero in on things really tight. You know, the the lens zooms in, the camera zooms in to that individual bee. Like, what the heck is that bee doing? Or Why does that bee look like that? Or is that bee okay? Or what kind of, is that a drone or is that a queen? All those little things. So yes, we're going to do that. But just remember when you have a frame out, and I'm going to say this, when you have a frame out at your mentor's colony where it's a fully grown up hive, because this is an important thing. Another beekeeper and I were talking about this the other day, the first year of beekeeping, a brand new baby hive when, especially if you start with a package, if you start with a nucleus colony, you're going to have some drawn comb. Um, you're going to have brood in different stages, or if it's a good nucleus, you're going to have all that. You're going to have some stores on the frame. You're going to see some pollen. You know, you can see all the, the pieces already there. However, if you start with a package, which is a perfectly fine way to start if that's all you can do, you don't have any of those pieces. The bees are going to have to build it from scratch. Now, in theory, the worker bees and that queen, in theory, they've got everything they need to start building. But the first year of beekeeping, that hive is never going to look that way again. So that's really important that everything you see in your first year It's never going to look that way again. That is the starting out um, phenomenon. Your boxes are never going to look so beautifully painted and unscarred by hive tool. Your bee jacket is never going to look that white again. (laughs) Um, this This is a personal thing for me. Whenever I see magazine articles about beekeepers, and they show these beekeepers walking out to their hives in absolutely pristine beekeeper gloves in a bright white, beekeeper jacket, I just kind of chuckle because if you've actually done beekeeping in that beekeeping jacket, it is not going to be sparkling white. It is going to get brown stains and it just gets worse and worse over time. And some of that stuff like the propolis just won't come out, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's just a chuckle to me. So now whenever you see those pictures, you can look and see how perfect that bee suit looks and know that that is um, how much they've actually kept bees in that suit. So anyway, that first year of beekeeping totally unique and it's more bizarre if you're starting with a package and brand new hive. Bizarre in the sense that it will never look that way again. Thank goodness because all that starter stuff that is not a a live cohesive growing thriving hive. That is the absolute beginner stage of a colony. And to go even further, it is absolutely unnatural in the sense of of, a, of, a, of the natural life cycle of a bee colony, um, either in an uh, older hive or out in the trees in a forest. Because out in the trees in a forest, wild bees or feral bees, because there's really no wild bees technically here in the United States because they're not native to our area. But, you know, they don't ever start out like that if if the if the natural colony out there in a forest when it comes time for them to reproduce and they throw a swarm then that swarm has done preparation work they're all fat with honey they're they're they've got a laying queen that is their laying queen that's going with them they are going to go to a spot that scout bees have already checked out to be ideal for them or as ideal as they can find so that's totally totally different than starting with a package and i just say that not to put down starting with a package because that's overwhelmingly how brand new beekeepers start but rather to say everything you're seeing you won't see that again. You won't see that again unless you're, unless something goes terribly wrong and you have to start again, which is not outside the possibilities. But when you, and this is again, back to my point I'm harping on about if you find a beekeeper friend who has been doing it for several years, ideally doing it for several years successfully. And whenever I say successful beekeeping. I am not talking about how much honey they have sold, how much money they make, how many hives they have. I'm talking about can they overwinter their bees alive and come out on the other side and make more from the bees they have. In my opinion, in my world, that is what makes a successful beekeeper because at that point you are self-sustaining. It doesn't have to be that individual. It could be a group of beekeepers who are doing the same thing. It's that is, to me, sustainable beekeeping because you're able to get live bees through. You don't have to go back every year to a nucleus producer or package producer and buy more bees because yours died. This is a, a tricky and touchy subject because sometimes when I'll, when, especially when I was new, Because of other life experience I had, I did know enough that if somebody was giving me advice on beekeeping, I would, you know, very nicely, because I'm southern, I'd very nicely say, So, you know, how long have you been keeping bees? And at first, people say, Oh, I've been keeping bees for five years. And I'd think, Oh, okay, they know what they're talking about. But later, I added on, You know, how many years have you been raising your own bees? And this is harder to work courteously into a conversation, but the gist is there, unfortunately, are many beekeepers out there who will present themselves as fairly knowledgeable. I've been keeping bees five years. And, you know, five years is the end of the beginner beginner stage. <laughs> if they've had their bees die every year and they've started with a package or nucleus colonies or catching swarms every spring because their bees died, or, yeah. So, to me, in my personal opinion, that's not successful in the sense that it's not sustainable because they have to go back to either swarms or the package producers or newt producers to start over every year. Okay, so that's a little soapbox on that. You, I'm, I'm kind of out of the closet that that's what, in my personal opinion, is a successful beekeeper. And don't beat yourself up if it takes you several years to get to that level of sustainability where you can get your bees through winter or get enough of them through winter that you can start over that next spring, not start over, let me back up, that you can go through the winter, start in spring with healthy overwintered hives. And if you do that, you're quickly going to have more bees than you know what to do. Um, You're quickly going to have to learn to make splits, to divide bees, to give them to your club, to sell them, all that, if you are doing it successfully. And I really am wrapping back around to my point, <laughs> believe it or not. And that is that that colony is, it is the living being. And that's always that living being, the whole thing is always the the unit of our interest. That's what we're going, even when we glance momentarily at individual pieces and parts and kind of do some math in our head, etc., it is it is the overall colony that we're going to be focused on. So out there in the real world, standing in front of your hive, and then coming back into the house to frantically Google stuff <laughs> that you've seen, or call your beekeeping friends, or whatever. This is how you will know if you're not paying attention enough to the overall colony that you see something out there, and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I didn't see my queen. I don't know if I," see. and you come back in, you call your mentor. One of the first things your mentor is going to ask when you tell them that you didn't see your queen was, "Well, did you see eggs?" And you're like, um. Well, I, I didn't look. Well, did you see open brood? That's the the little white larva in their cells, and you're like, um, I can't quite remember. That's because you were thinking about a piece of the whole, the queen, and you forgot to do the assessment of the actual animal. And of course, I'm using this as an expression, not literally. They're insects. Yes, yes, yes. But anyway, so that's how you know because. If you see anything that startles you like you don't see your queen. In fact, I tell all new beekeepers don't expect to see your queen. Queens are furtive. They can really hide. They're hard, very hard to spot. I didn't regularly see my queens until year 4 or 5, and that I was trying because I very much wanted to get into queen rearing and I just didn't have the instinctive eye for it and the part was I had really big booming healthy hives and the better health your hive is in the harder it is going to be to find your queen because you're just going to have a ton of bees and she's in there somewhere but the truth is you don't need to find your queen in fact I would suggest don't even look for your queen on regular inspections what you look for to know that she's there are eggs if you can see them if you see the eggs you've had a queen within three days yay close it up call it good or small open brood if you can't If your eyesight or your reading glasses are not good enough for you to see eggs, or if you have the wax foundation or the yellow plastic foundation or natural comb, it's almost impossible to see eggs. You're just going to have to look for larvae. If you happen to have the black plastic foundation, which is a mixed bag, I'll go into that later, but then you can see eggs. They are really bright and beautifully visible. So um, I will, I think I have a picture on my Facebook page of uh, eggs Well, and if not, I'll I'll put one on this episode announcement. So anyway, that biological hole, that is the thing you are taking care of. You are taking care of the your colony and your hive are never going to look the same as your first starter unless you happen to start with a, unless you happen to have bought um, an overwintered hive, which some people do. They buy a whole hive from a beekeeper. This phenomenon of that first year being nothing like any other year in beekeeping. (laughs) It also creates that that first year you have this tiny little baby hive. They tend to be very friendly because they're they're too small, you know, to defend themselves very well. So they're nice when you go in there. And so the end of the first year, you know, that fall, when you're putting them to bed after your first year, you can start to develop some cockiness at that point. Cause like you've, you've built them up, you know, you have fed them correctly, the correct way to feed them so that they were able to build up comb. We'll talk about that later. And you've gotten used to handling them. You've gotten used to spotting brood. So, you know, the hive is queen, right? And you put them to bed for winter and you're feeling like, okay, I've got this beekeeping thing. <laughs> Then if everything goes really well and you did everything really right and you come out that second spring with an overwintered colony and then they start to build up on red maple flow and all of a sudden you've got a monster on your hands. And usually because if there's a flow, then they're going to be friendly and nice because they're busy putting in nectar. They're not worried about you too much as long as you don't screw up too badly and crush a bunch of bees. A lot of times, that then you're back to being humbled again. As I will always say, bees will humble you. The cockier you get, then they're just planning on how to humble you because then you open that hive one day, your overwintered hive that you're so proud of, and it is boiling with bees. You take off that top box and there's so many bees. You're like, oh my God, there's like 2 billion bees in here. How am I going to get this box back together? So there's different stages and Actually, that is a happy, happy sight. If you open your hive and it's just boiling over with bees, you are winning. Now, that's also a signal to you that you're about to have to take action. And again, like Brian Fisher said in his interview, you know, learning to be proactive, learning to see the signs that the bees are about to do something. Because once they start doing something, it it can be very difficult to get them going in the direction that you wish they were going. We never tell our bees what to do. And anytime you force a bee to do something, it's not going to be good for them because they have, you know, they have their prime directive. They have their ambition. And that ambition of theirs is based in the colony's life cycle. It's also influenced by everything that's going around, going on in the outside world. This is really such a beautiful thing about bees because if you even if you go back to the ancient Egyptians and beekeeping, bees were, were seen as the tears of Ra, and I believe Ra was one of their top gods, they were the intermediaries between heaven and earth. And you like, oh, that's so nice, that's so woo, but also it's it's also literally true because the bees so much of their life cycle is dictated by the sun, what the sun is given on any is doing on any given day if the sun is out it's sunny it's not too windy then that's a top foraging day if there's any forage out there but also by the day length their life cycle is introduced by is is influenced not introduced sorry is influenced by the length of the day it is influenced by whether the days are getting longer or the days are getting shorter so they're this beautiful connection between the sun the the cycle of the year but also the cycle of the plants and the trees and the weather in the spot where they live and in your yard. That part can vary from year to year it can vary from week to week <laughs> if you're in a lot of climates like mine you know it can be beautiful sunny spring the red maples are blooming you know the hive is starting to build up and then suddenly it snaps back to winter it gets cold it's rainy icy rain for a week and a half and they have to stay in the hive this can create all kinds of issues now any naturally occurring issue that occurs the bees have naturally developed responses to all those things and this is all stuff you'll learn isn't this exciting isn't it exciting to know that starting from where you are no matter what age you're starting even if you're 15 and I, I have a 16 year old listener out there so hello even if you're starting at age 15 or 16 the bees are going to be teaching you things every year until you die And I know this for a fact, and that is because a a 90-year-old beekeeper that came to our club meeting who had been keeping bees for 60 years, one of the things he said in an early meeting in the year, like the first meeting we had at the beginning of the year, he said, man, I just love keeping bees because I learn something new every year. And I just remembered stopping. I mean, I almost cried because this was so beautiful to my heart that there can be this system, this natural system, that even if we do it intensively, and I'm talking about if you became a bee researcher at age 15, you are still going to be learning things at age 90, because that is how deeply fascinating and beautifully complicated in the sense of uh, all natural systems are like that once you look deeply enough. But there's stuff to learn every year. You will never run out of things to learn about your bees. That's the beautiful part of it. <laughs> for some, that's overwhelming. But if you learn to see that as a beautiful thing, that every time you're confused, which as a beginner will be every single time you open your hive, if this is not true for you and you're a beginner, just write me and I will give you a quarter. <laughs> you're going to be confused. You're going to be like, but I thought I knew what I was going to see when I opened this hive. Now, this happens. I'm pretty sure I can say to beekeepers at every level of experience, and you can have ten hives out in a yard. You've done the exact same thing to all ten, and then you open up ten, and every single one of them will be doing something slightly different, because each of those is its own organism, and each of those has different level of health. They actually have a different set of genetics active in that hive box, even if they all came from the same mother. You'll learn all. So. The takeaways that I hope you will take from this particular episode of Bee school is that that organism is the whole hive. This is one of the reasons why you're encouraged to start with more than one hive. Because if you just have one, then you have one animal. And there are only so many conclusions you can make from that. It's just like if you've only had one dog in your life, then it's like, is my dog eating enough? Well, you don't know. You're going to have to talk to another dog owner because you look at your, your your dog's eating the amount that your dog's eating, and but you don't have anything to compare it to. And the beauty of having two hives, and if you, for whatever reason, can't have two hives, then you need a beekeeping friend even more. And in this case, a beekeeping friend very close to you. Frankly, I'm just going to say, I really hope if you don't have the money to start with two hives, I would genuinely encourage you to just... Maybe wait, maybe go through a season helping out another beekeeper until you can get it to get that second hive because it's going to be so valuable. The other reason the second hive is almost, it's, it's, it's critical, honest to God, <laughs> uh, is that there are so many things that can go wrong with hive A and if you have hive B, it's no problem. You can fix it. But if you don't have Hive B and certain things go wrong with Hive A, you've got no tools to fix it. And it, then you're in a crisis. So these are many of the things that you will be learning in B school. But I want to leave you in this episode. I know, and actually you'll get used to this in this podcast. I always say, I'm going to talk about these three things. And then I talk so long about the first thing that things two and thing three end up being different episodes. So this episode, I just want to leave you that the colony is the whole hive. That is the living being that you are going to learn to interact with. It's not the individual bee. All right. I hope that has been helpful. (laughs) It may just be, if you haven't started bee school and you have absolutely no experience with bees, you may be getting to this point going, I am more confused than ever. I have no idea what she is talking about. This next part is a skill you're going to need in beekeeping. Anytime you have no idea what that person just said, just roll with it. Just roll with it for a minute and then either ask them follow-up questions or depending on the situation, go home and read more, study more, listen more. All right, I wish you all so well. I am When I think about all of you out there about to start on your beekeeping adventure, I get just very excited and happy for you. Beekeeping is the one of the funnest things. I just, it is lovely, amazing, frustrating, exciting, baffling, heartbreaking, lovely hobby that you're about to take up. So be strong, stay strong, and start your adventure by learning. All right, y'all have a great day, and I will be back with you soon with another episode of Radio B-School. Thanks for listening. Please leave a comment if you want to on a post over at 5 Apple Farm Bees Honey and More on Facebook. If you feel that you're getting value from these podcasts, please join as a friend of the podcast on patreon.com/5apple. It makes it possible for me to do this. Have a great week.